Thank you for tuning in. Uh, my name is John Shaman, and I'm hosting the Shaman MD podcast. Our guest today is Harold Lee. I've known Harold for quite some years, and I hope that you will also know him after this podcast. Harold has an interesting story to tell. Many of us have heard about heart attacks and what that might be like. But a lot of that may not be totally accurate you hear it secondhand, third hand. Harold's going to tell us eventually about his heart attack. But first, I'd like him to tell us a little bit about himself, the man, even going back to his childhood, um, a little bit about um, how that was and what he liked and what he what his favorite toy was. Uh, did he have any pets? That kind of thing. Harold. Sure. Hi. Thank you, Dr. Shaman. So, um, yeah, I've, uh, I grew up in Guelph. Um, I, um, I, an outdoorsy type person. I like to be outdoors. Um, um, but at the same time, I started work at an early age. Uh, and uh, I worked in a flower shop. I worked for a trucking company. I did well in school. Um, and I, I was a chubby kid, but not fat. I wouldn't say fat, but anyway. And uh, so, uh, as far as pets, I always had cats um, and uh, other small animals as well. Uh, I would find wild animals that needed um, health, brought back to health, and I would do that. Anyway, um, so, uh, and then um, I started working in the financial institutions uh, and uh, basically for the last 30 or for 30 some years, I was a financial analyst. Um, then I retired from that and went into real estate uh, 15 years ago. And uh, so, um, so during that time, all um, I was in my high school age, I was probably 165 pounds. Um, and then I slimmed down when I got in my 20s. Um, and then when I got into my late 30s, early 40s, then I weight started coming back on again. Um, and then my hypertension started. I think that was thought related. Um, and when I turned uh, 50, then my weight, I was up, you know, 190, and that just kept climbing year after year until uh, when I was 57, it was um, up to 200 pounds. Um, I still didn't feel I was fat, but it's uncomfortable. You know, every time I have to loosen out the belts, right? <laughs> Buy new clothes. <laughs> Not good. Um, anyway, so, um, and People are always saying to me, uh, you know, well, someday you're going to have a heart attack. Well, I ate good. I exercised all the time. I coached uh, my uh, kids' baseball teams. I am a scouter, so I was always out. I, we did international scouting, so I took the scouts to Ireland, to the Jamboree, um, camping outdoors a lot, and... Um, but I ate everything and anything, um, and uh, but I liked my vegetables. So um, then, oh, uh, nine years ago, 
we'd gone out for dinner and um, I, they, I ordered the roast beef dinner. And they brought out, I said, and I, I want it well done. So they brought out an end beef that was so well done. Everybody looked at it and said, well, there's a heart attack about to happen. And I just laughed it off and I ate it. And then the next day, I had this stomach or uh, chest pain, not chest pain. It was more like indigestion. Um, I took a couple of Tums, had a ginger ale, thinking that would go away. And it started, this is about noontime it started. And I thought, oh, that's crazy. What's, what's doing this? And then, oh, then I had, um, being a realtor, I had to go to work. Um, and I was working the night shift. So I went in for six o'clock and around eight o'clock, it was like, oh my gosh, this is getting worse instead of better. And that doesn't make sense. And then all of a sudden my left jaw went numb. Uh, it just, oh my gosh, it was like um, getting a freezing gun at the doctor's office. And I, being in scouting, I had taken first aid training and CPR training. And so I knew what to look for in a heart attack. At least I thought I did. And when this jaw thing happened, I said, oh my gosh, that's what it is. It's a heart attack coming on. So I um, went to my receptionist and I sat on a chair and I said, please call 911. She said, why? And I said, I'm having a heart attack. And she was very reluctant to do that. I said, no, please call 911. So she did. And of course, the fire department got there and the captain walked in and he said, what's wrong, sir? And I said, I'm having a heart attack. And he laughed. He said, no, you're not having a heart attack. I said, yes, I am. And fortunately, the paramedics came in right behind him and they said, well, come on over here. We'll get you up on the stretcher. And um, they put the monitor on me and they said, yes, you're having a heart attack right now. And I said, well, let's get that moving. So uh, fortunately, about Ten days before that, they had changed things up in Guelph that if you were having a heart attack, you were taken directly to St. Mary's Hospital in Kitchener for emergency treatment. And so I went directly to St. Mary's and um, they did, uh, they determined that I had five blockages, three small ones and two large ones. They did an angioplast balloon on two of them and a, a metal scent in one of those two that they ballooned. Um, it was, oh, what an experience like going into emergency. Now they were great at St. Mary's because they met me at the door um, and took me right into surgery. And uh, they gave me a, something to cut the blockages, uh, which was like putting ice in your veins. It was like, whoa, that was just. Anyway, uh, they were very good, um, and by 10 o'clock, I was in recovery, um, and I thought, okay, this is a one-time thing. Uh, they, they've done what they needed to do, and I'll be fine again. Well, um, no, that wasn't the case. Um, I, uh, they brought me back to Guelph. I stayed at Guelph General Hospital for a week, and I had no strength. I was as weak as weak could be. I could not do a thing. And um, my cardiologist came in and he looked at me and looked at the chart. And he said, well, he says, you better get your affairs in order because you've got maybe a year to live. 
And I, what? You know, like I'm only 57. I'm a caregiver for my mother, um, and who's living on her own. And um, I've got a wife that's uh, got diabetes and she's not well. And um, I can't afford to go at this point. Um, and uh, not that I'm, a, I have no fear of dying. Dying, dying is not the thing. It, it, it's the fact that I've got, I've got things to do. Uh, the reason I say that is because I had a near-death experience, an out-of-body experience, many years ago, and um, I uh, went to the other side, to the other realm, and um, I was met by some beings. I believe that they were my uh, uh, my mother's parents, these beings, and because uh, they met me in open arms and, and greeted me and they said it's not your time and and they sent me back they pushed me back um uh, it, it's it wasn't a dream it was not a dream it was it was real life i was sick at the time very very sick dying and um i remember leaving my body looking back at my body being sucked into the realm um it wasn't a tunnel i People say it's a tunnel. I didn't feel it was a tunnel. There was no sound. I heard no sound. Everything that they said to me was by um, uh, no 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 voice was was made. You know, it was it was um, telemetry, and um, it was very very shocking experience. I tried talking to people at the time about it, and everybody says you better keep that under your hat because you're crazy. Uh, but I, to, feel, to this day, I changed. My my whole physique changed. I um, I have this aura that I can turn off electrical sensors. If I walk under a street lamp, for example, it'll go off because of my, I believe, my aura. Um, another experience was my neighbor came to me one day and said, uh, um, just asked me how I was doing, and you know, we were breathing. And I thought there's something wrong here because I could only see half of his face. And I thought this is really bizarre. I asked him, "Is there anything wrong?" He said, "No, no, everything's fine." And I said, "Well, why can't I see the rest of your face?" He said, "I don't know what you're talking about." Two hours later, he blew his head off with a shotgun. Um, so, like, there is something about being on the other side and then coming back, it gives you some insight. And like I say, I'm not afraid of dying because I know that there is life after death. Um, and um, I, um, uh, I, I think we're here to learn and have experience and share with others and help others. And yeah. Um, so back to my story of the uh, heart attack, uh, here I am and say, saying, well, what am I going to do? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be dying soon. Um, so I, uh, the people at St. Mary's said, well, there is a rehab clinic. We'll, we'll let you go there. So I went to the rehab clinic, but they wouldn't even let me um, exercise. They just wanted me to attend their lectures and learn about changing lifestyle. And um, uh, they, they said, well, we can't let you exercise. You might die on it. I thought, this is bizarre. 
is there no help? There's no hope. Um, so I went to my family doctor and I, my GP, and I said, you know, what, uh, is there anything I can do here? And he said, well, I heard of this uh, Dr. Shaman uh, at the clinic he has in Breslau, and um, he says he's, he's a bit radical, but maybe, maybe he's the place for you to go. That sounds great. Uh, I'll make an appointment. Talked to my cardiologist in the meantime, and he said, ah, it's a waste of time. You're, you're going to be dead anyway. Um, and I, well, that's not very much encouragement by anybody, is it? Uh, anyhow, got to meet Dr. Shaman. Thank you very much, doctor. And um, you put me through the test and said, you know, we, there is a thing called reversal of heart disease. And I, well, that really perked me on that one. And I wanted to know more. Um, you told me about the Cardiac Fitness Association, the members that had created a, uh, uh, an organization, a charitable, charitable organization to um, uh, become a member and, and be a lifetime member um, and, and encourage you to uh, change your lifestyle. And um, I thought, oh, that sounds good. Um, and Oh, you you told me about the uh, reversal workshop. You had done 49 workshops, and you were going to hold another one very soon. And would I like to sign up for it? I said, of course I would. So I did that. Um, and you, in the workshop, you know, explained that how it was something you'd learned from de attending a Dean Ornish workshop, and uh, and. How heart disease can be reversed, and uh, so I took it to heart. I wanted to know more, and I did my own research on it, and uh, listened to all of Dean Orange's videos and and other people that he encouraged, or other doctors, other professionals that he um, worked together with. Um, so I. Um, found a lot of good information from those people, and I applied it to myself. And I went from being a, a, a meat eater to a no meat eater, well, a little bit reduced meat, a vegetarian, then vegan, and then finally, two years ago, I went full food plant-based diet, and which basically means I don't no meat, no egg, no fish. Um, uh, no oil, uh, and, and just enjoying uh, uh, plant material, plant and and um, not processed plants, and and mainly raw vegetables, uh, except for starchy foods that you have to cook, like uh, rice and potatoes and uh, yeah. So Harold, I think uh, I can see now that. Um the detail of what I'd like to do and have you present is probably going to require that we have a second session. Uh, so what I'd like to do right now is um, interject by commenting on some of the things that you've said and making it more clear. One okay. of the things that I want to make sure is that people understand when you said hypertension, not everyone knows what that is. Some people think that hypertension is being tense or stressed. 
Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. It does not mean that. I'm just being clear for you know what yeah. it is, of course. Yes, I know. Uh, what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So hypertension means one thing. It means that you have high blood pressure. So uh, everyone out there who's listening, just be clear on that. Uh, is that that's what that means? Now, I also give lectures at the clinic uh, to every cardiac class. Uh, I think I've given over twelve thousand of them since nineteen seventy-eight, and I give lectures on definitions of different cardiac uh, terms. And I think it may be useful right now to give a couple of those terms right now. Now, Harold mentioned that he had a heart attack. A heart attack is where part of your heart muscle dies. It is not where somebody passes out and then is, de is said to be dead. That's something a little different. It could be caused by a heart attack. So a heart attack happens when part of the heart muscle dies. Why would it? Because of lack of oxygen. Why does that happen? Because of arteries that are blocked, reducing the flow of oxygen-rich blood. And that can cause problems all over the body. The only tissue in the body that doesn't need oxygen, two of them actually, fingernails and hair. Every other tissue, if you don't get oxygen to it, it, it can and will die. So that's um, what a heart attack is, where part of the heart dies. Another term that is often confused is cardiac arrest. Cardiac arrest is sudden death, where someone dies suddenly. Um, and that almost always is, is happening because of something called ventricular fibrillation. It's a fancy medical term. The ventricles are the lower chambers of the heart. If they fibrillate, they basically go into a quivering state and they can't pump anymore. And if those chambers can't pump anymore, there's no blood going out to the vital tissues and in four minutes, you, you're unconscious in, in a matter of you know, 20 seconds. And then you have brain death by four minutes. So that's a cardiac arrest. Now, unfortunately, we've had 13 of those in the clinic since 1978. Not a big surprise considering the population that we deal with. The same way that Harold was told that they didn't want him to exercise at the other rehab place uh, because of that risk, uh, we have, are prepared to deal with it. And I said, unfortunately, we've had 13. But fortunately, we got them all back to life again because we have the technology and the equipment and, and such uh, to be able to do that. So in our 42 year history, we've had 13, all of them came out on the right side. Now, whether any of them had a near death experience, I don't know, no one's ever told me. Uh, and um, so your experience, I, I, it sounds bizarre to me. It sounds implausible, but I don't, uh, I can't say that because I've never experienced it. I can only go by what you say and a few other people have mentioned something like it. So there must, or there very well might be something to all that. Um, so the other item that has to be mentioned when we talk about these definitions is the concept of, of uh, heart failure. Now heart failure is a whole new further concept. And that is where the heart as a muscle stops pumping adequately and the pump of the heart fails. Uh, it's not a cardiac arrest. Cardiac arrest is where the heart just stops pumping. But if it pumps, but it does it inadequately for whatever number of reasons, of which there are many, uh, that's called heart failure. And you know it can be complicated by talking about right-sided heart failure, left-sided heart failure. And now we have even some more bizarre definitions of heart failure relating to uh, something called ejection fraction. I'll just mention this in brief passing because it's something that heart patients generally should know about, especially if you've had a heart attack or, or anything along that line, even bypassing and ballooning, all of that. It's good to know about this. And that has to do with something called ejection fraction. 
Now, obviously, when the heart pumps, it pumps blood out every time it pumps. And the amount of blood it pumps out as a percentage is called the ejection fraction. So if the 100% of the blood in the heart came out, which it doesn't, that would be 100% ejection fraction. A normal ejection fraction is somewhere between 55 and 65%, uh, just for the knowledge of the, of the listeners. So Harold, um, before we take a break, uh, or before we sort of tune into our second session uh, later, um, can you give us more information about, you mentioned the heart disease reversal workshop, you were a number 50. I should also clarify that. Uh, I started those in 1993. The first one was in November 1993. And uh, initially, I was running four a year. And then I went to three a year, then two a year. And um, up to the 50th one, we were doing two a year. And at that point, the doctor was getting a little older. The wear and tear of lecturing from eight in the morning till five at night and the stress of worrying about some of these people who were very high risk, um, that was immense. And I got to the point where I thought, okay, when we get to 50, I think we'll stop at 50. Now, we won't stop professing this and, and recommending it and teaching it, but we just won't do it in an all-day workshop. Uh, so you, were, you just happened to come in at the last one, the 50th one. Yep. My intent had always been to continue with these, uh, this information being disseminated during the cardiac lectures. And that really hasn't happened quite the way I'd like, and I have to give that some further thought as to how, we'll, how I will do that. So um, after you took the workshop, or say during the workshop, how did you feel about the information? You were, were you already at that time signed into vegetarianism or not yet? No, not yet. Okay. No. So how did you feel about what you heard? A lot of people hear that and they immediately turn away and say, well, that's not for me. How did you feel? Um, I took it as a challenge. Okay. I thought um, that, yeah, I, I want to, I want to reverse this. And um, like I said, I had started doing some research and finding out that people were able to to reverse their heart disease and other chronic diseases, including diabetes and cancer. And I'm, well, why, why aren't we doing more of that? Um, and the medication I was taking for heart disease, it was making me foggy, brain fog. And I said, you know, I've got to find a way of eliminating this brain fog. Um, so that's why I... Uh, Okay. Well, um, I think it would serve us well to look at the question you posed uh, in the last conversation, the last uh, few things you mentioned, and that is why aren't why isn't this out there more well known, or why aren't more people looking into it and doing this tough program? Because when it first came out, it was shocking, and Dr. Dean Ornish, who came out with this information was literally on the front page of every newspaper, every magazine, uh, at the front page of every lifestyle section of newspapers. And he, he, was, and he was on every talk show in the world, uh, almost, I'm exaggerating a little bit, uh, you know, in languages that had to be translated, et cetera, because this was really something. To show that arteries could actually be unblocked. There was a time in my career where I, uh, it wasn't sort of a planned thing. I became assistant neurosurgeon after my training because the one neurosurgeon went into politics and I had worked with them as an intern 
and they, I guess they thought I was able to hold my own. Very tough to work in neurosurgery operating operation. Uh, and I guess they invited me to take over for the one guy. And so that allowed me, uh, while he was campaigning for politics, actually, and he won a seat in, in Ontario and became the Minister of Labour, actually. And uh, I took his place when he never did come back after that uh, winning of the election. And that work gave me a lot of insight because I was literally once or twice a week in the operating room and we were cleaning out neck arteries of the same disease that caused your heart attack. So that same disease causes strokes, causes many other problems, uh, including peripheral vascular disease. And um, you talk about brain fogginess, that absolutely can be in, uh, part of the problem is atherosclerotic involvement of the brain arteries. And if you work on reducing the blockage, it doesn't just stop at the heart arteries. It goes to all the arteries. So uh, if somebody has some symptoms that might suggest brain fogging that might be related to the arteries, which is not impossible. I mean, think about it. If the heart doesn't get enough oxygen, you get angina. And if it's bad enough and part of the heart dies, you have a heart attack. Well, in the brain, if if you have a bad block that's th that stops the flow to the part of the brain, then you have a stroke because a yeah. stroke is really like a heart attack. It's, it's where part of the brain actually dies, like in a heart attack, part of the heart dies. So that, that is valuable uh, to do that for all body parts. So I have an answer for why, uh, and it has to do with human nature. The human animal has evolved to be able to think and to do all the things that the human does. We, we worry about things that are coming, uh, like, for example, uh, in cold weather, we worried about how we would survive the winters. So we started building buildings. We made whatever we had to cover ourselves in, in bad weather, blankets and whatever, eventually. So we plan things. And one of the things that we also plan is comfort. The human, all animals have seek comfort and even, uh, you know, cows in a field with a blizzard coming, will walk in behind the barn to be sheltered from the blizzard uh, against their fur, uh, their hide. Um, and they do that without really planning it, but the human can plan things. And one of the things that humans do, they want to create comfort. And we don't enjoy things that are uncomfortable, especially if they're more uncomfortable, you, you do everything possible to avoid it. Also, that comfort leads to wanting things that you get used to. And that means eating fatty food and, and uh, those steaks at the restaurant and, and all of those things. And, and because we have a large number of people in the world like we've never had before, fewer now with COVID, uh, but at least we've had a lot more, that we have to be concerned about being able to supply food to everybody. And so we have to have all kinds of additives to make them last longer to, and, and uh, make the shelf life longer, et cetera, et cetera. But then comes another issue, which I think is very important, and that's profitability and commerce. You've heard me say many times, commerce overrules science. Commerce overrules best medical practice. So that comes in in many ways. So if I offer the reversal program, which we're going to talk about in our next interview in much more detail, and I talk about that to my patients, a lot of them will say, oh, well, isn't there something else? And they, somebody will say, we can have a bypass. Some people would rather be slipped open with a circuitor saw, have their plumbing redone with arteries uh, out of their arms and veins out of their legs, et cetera. And they'd rather have that than change their lifestyle. Obviously, you weren't one of those. Um, and uh, like I say, in our next, uh, the next interview we will do, we will definitely be covering that. Um, so I think the main thing for now is to 
maybe finish off by saying that I'll give you a few comments to comment to what I've said. Uh, I'd like to just sort of just dwell on a couple of things. So a doctor is like everybody else in the world. We're employed or we're self-employed or whatever it is, and we work for a living. We all, I don't know anyone who works, who doesn't work for a living. Somebody has, everyone has to make a living and be able to support themselves and their families. And doctors know that if they write a prescription for something, which is standard practice, it's normal. It's the way the medicine is, the practice of medicine. Uh, and you write this prescription, you can hand it to the patient, maybe spend a few minutes talking about it and, and they'll go home. And then you see them back again in a month or whatever it is and look after, ask them how they are, et cetera. And the patient has it very easy as well because all they've got to do is swallow some pills. If they follow my advice, it, it totally disrupts their life uh, as they knew it. And a lot of people are not willing to do that. And when Dr. Dean Ornish first came out and with his data, it was published in all, all kinds of very reputable medical journals and it was paid attention to. Well, after a while, because the resistance from the patient, because of the fact that they'd rather be solved with an, the problem solved with an easier, more comfortable method, uh, they prefer not to go through these tough things. So it was very quick, 10 years, and Dr. Ornish sort of lost the visibility in the modern world, uh, in the media, and, and, and uh, just in general. Because all kinds of industries were fighting back. Uh, the uh, pork marketing board, the, the beef board, the dairy board, all the uh, entities that are out there uh, protecting and working on behalf of these uh, non-vegetarian aspects of our uh, foods uh, are out there and have spent a lot of money, a big lot of money, uh, in order to fight against this kind of message. I've been to medical meetings where I couldn't believe that a medical doctor was actually talking about how it's good to eat pork and fat. When I got up to the microphone, I said, well, it doesn't make much sense, does it? Because Dr. Orner showed that you could actually reverse blockage. You have no evidence that, that your, your program helps arteries. As a matter of fact, I have evidence that it doesn't. And they'll look at me, kind of feel sheepish, and they'll say, well, Everyone agreed that what Dr. Ornish said was good, but nobody can do it. So what, what's the sense of recommending it? What's your comment on that? That's ludicrous. Um, it, it, can, it can be done. It's not hard. Um, I have um, a, a big menu of foods that I eat all the time. Um, it's ridiculous that you don't want to get healthy. People, uh, I know I have friends. And, and they're in bad shape, younger than myself. And, you know, I try to encourage them to take on the challenge with me. And, um, no, no, not too hard. They just, they live to, they eat to live, or they live to eat, not live, uh, eat to uh, live. Um, right. You know, food is more important to them and no exercise and, you know, like, Okay. I, and I just don't get it. Um. Well, I, Harold, I think you've really um, hit the nail right on the head of the nail, and we've got to explore this further. And I think I'd like to thank you for all this great insight you've given us and sharing your history and, and such. Uh, we kind of all feel that we know you better now, even though I've known you all these years, I feel I know you better now of certain things that you've told us today. So I'd like to thank you for that, and um, I hope you will join me for um, 
for session number two, where uh, we'll see what you'd like to talk about. But I'd like to have you touch on uh, how the reversal program is actually constructed, what it's made of. Uh, I'd like to talk about how mindset is involved. And in Dr. Ornish's work, uh, he actually claimed that the most important component of the four that he has, which were exercise, diet, stress management, and group support. And he claimed group support was the most important. So I'd like to talk about all of those other components, as well as get a more uh, detailed um, overview of how you managed to make it through this and done as well as you have. Okay. So thank, thank you. you. And yeah. thank you, thank listeners, you. for tuning in. And please, if you have an interest, uh, tune in to the next uh, episode of this podcast. And uh, we'll join you there. Thank you very kindly.